I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast where I explore the subject of fame by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and ask them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is actor Ewan McIntosh. Ewan is arguably best known for his role as Keith in The Office, but his CV also includes work on legendary comedy shows Little Britain and Miranda, as well as playing characters in Mile High, Lead Balloon, Murder in Suburbia, Mongrels, Life's Too Short, Casualty, EastEnders, and many, many more. So it's a huge honour to give an almost famous welcome to Ewan McIntosh. How are you, Ewan? Hey, I'm good, thanks. How's it going? Really good. Thanks so much for coming on. i like to ask my guests, first of all, is there anything you felt strongly that I missed out in your intro? Anything that made you think, ah, he should have said that? No. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I, I guess I said you must you must get asked this straight away a lot, but I've got to go through it. I said that you're arguably best known for playing Keith in The Office. Is, is that really still the case? Is that what your kind of career has been based upon, would you say, in terms of when it comes to speaking to casting directors or going up for roles or anything like that? So, yeah, 100% of the, almost, but more with the, the general public, I guess, than, say, casting directors. Casting directors are pretty... Uh, good at not tying you down to one thing because their job is to obviously see lots of people who are well-known all the time. So that's just part and parcel for them. But in terms of uh, generally, then, yeah, it's definitely it's the one thing that I'm certainly most known for. Therefore, as a question that I also ask all of my guests, would you describe yourself as famous, Ewan McIntosh? Um... it's not something I tend to dwell on or think about really. I'm certainly not, uh, you know, A-list sort of, you know, Brad Pitt level or anything like that. Obviously I'm (laughs) probably, I'm not really, you know, I'm probably not even really, you know, Danny Dyer level. (laughs) I can kind of uh, walk about and not get, you know, hassled or anything most of the time. So, no, I don't. I don't particularly consider myself famous. Maybe known. Sure. And if you describe yourself then as not being famous now or not getting hassled really by the general public now, would you say that's a big difference from when The Office was on and was getting big? No, I would say I would say that uh, it grew. It it it's kind of it started off quite small with uh, when it came out because it wasn't really a big hit when it was first out. And then it grew, and then it sort of went away a bit, weirdly, in um, the mid to, to sort of round about, I guess when I did Little Britain, around about 2006, 
uh, and then weirdly it sort of came back uh, in a big way in about um, five or six years ago. And suddenly it was, I don't know why it happened. And suddenly, uh, and it's kind of stayed relatively the same since then. It's really weird. It was been a really weird process of being uh, known and then sort of forgotten a bit. And then suddenly it came back and it was, uh, and now it's similar, you know, people, people who weren't born when the show came out uh, are now fans of it, which is, I find really odd. Yeah. That must be very strange. Do you find at all that, um, the kind of peaks and troughs of the popularity of the show, or as you described it, it kind of coming back. Um, does that at all uh, relate to any difference in your career prospects at that time? If, if you're being seen more or talked about more because The Office is is coming back or popular to a new generation, for instance, does that create more opportunities for you in terms of acting at all? Probably, yeah. Uh, certainly in terms of um, corporate stuff, and uh you know advertising stuff and being sort of in in little skits and stuff. like i did a thing for bt sports when slough were in the fa cup and they got me in to sort of do a, a me applying to be the manager of slough with jake humphreys and like things like that you know uh where they sort of want me to play a, a version of keith definitely came back in a big way a few years ago and uh and I'm still doing it, <laughs> so it's still there. I've done a couple, you know, this year, even during lockdown, I've done a like a thing for for Just Eat, like a, a PR campaign where I was basically referencing the office. So it's still, you know, it's still around. It's like um a little bit like kind of like a one hit wonder, isn't it? It's like I mean, I don't mean that the office was a one hit wonder, but I just mean in terms of the character, it's the kind of gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? So oh, yeah. presumably if you're still getting work from it so many years later, that's such a brilliant character to have played. I mean the, for me the, the the thing now at the moment, weirdly, is this whole um I was doing it for I've done it for a couple of years, but when lockdown happened, this whole fad of like uh, video messaging, like cameo and uh celebrity m really kind of took off and uh i'm doing that a lot uh and that all the all, all my requests all, i would say bar none are for me to like do do keith lines and keith quotes for people's like birthday messages and stag do's and weddings and so on and uh and that has really <laughs> i've got to say financially has really uh got me through the pandemic in quite a big way do you know what that's yeah that's amazing i guess it would be remiss of me then not to ask because uh you know even on this podcast i've spoken to a number of actors and people but also in general when you read or listen to interviews with a lot of actors and creatives the worry that they have about being typecast and how that affects their career is something they regularly bring up how does how do you weigh that up in terms of um you know as you've said still playing uh keith to some degree or at some versions of keith now for different what i think is uh what i like to to mention on this this sort of point is uh it's an interesting point and uh, i always remember that leonard nimoy wrote two autobiographies in his life and the first one when he sort of uh, was relatively young, was called I Am Not Spock. <laughs> and then the next one he wrote when he was a lot older was I Am Spock. <laughs> uh, it was all about him sort of coming to terms with the fact that he'll always, you know, he would always be basically remembered as, as Mr. Spock. Yeah. Uh, and he, was, he, he kind of, he came to kind of 
embraced, it started off hating it because he felt he was typecast and he couldn't get other work. Yeah. And then he came to realize that what a privilege it was to be kind of so well loved for anything. Yeah. And I think the way I look at it is there's, there's so many actors around, like so many thousands of actors around who are more talented than I am and better than I am. And they're not going to be remembered for anything. Uh, so the fact that you can even, the fact that you've got something on your CV or that you've done something that has impacted people so much, uh, I think you've just got to, got to be grateful for it really i mean that's the way i look totally at it. uh and uh, and honestly very refreshing to hear that because i always think when i hear actors bang on about being typecasted it's a bit cunty so um oh yeah absolutely i think it's uh, you know it's 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 arrogance it's, really. it's pretentious i think yeah. you know to, to think that you to think you deserve you think that you deserve something you know more it's just i think it's a it's a i mean i can sort of because i've been through it Sometimes you can understand. Sometimes you think, "Oh God, here we go again." But and it can get, you know, there are there are periods where you think, "Well, why aren't I doing this or doing that?" But you've got to really just accept it. I think totally. And um, obviously, when you write your autobiography, it'll be called "I Am Keith." Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be "I Am Keith," and then, then, I'll, then, right then, I'll, then I'll write another one called "I Am Not Keith." Exactly the opposite way around. Perfect. Yeah, I do the opposite way. Yeah. Just while you were talking about it, it did make me think: Have there ever been um, discussions or script treatments or scripts written for a kind of spin-off with Keith? Because he's quite a well-rounded, brilliant comedy character. I'd, I'd say right for sitcom. I would have thought. Well, the first of all. Uh, it could never happen with the character because uh, it's not mine, so I don't own it. I've, I would say over the years, I've had at least five people either write whole scripts or pictures, synopses of trying to get it right. and They sort of range from... Uh, me being a Keith Light character to kind of me being myself going around getting angry at being typecast as Keith. And there's never been one there've been some good efforts, there've been some funny efforts, but but it's it's quite difficult to get around the fact that, you know, I don't own the character rights, so I, we could never do it as literally as Keith. And then on the other on the other hand, I kind of like that because I don't think uh, I don't think spin-off shows from sitcoms often do do them any favours. No, I think you're probably right. Apart from maybe Frasier. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it is interesting to hear that people have actually, you know, on spec, written those scripts. Oh, yeah, quite a few have tried. Quite a few have tried. Is it, I mean, because you can see it's a, you can see why it's a kind of tempting thing to do because you do think, well, what is, what could we do with this character? But then on the other hand, I quite, I quite like the mystery of the character that you really don't know anything about him except how he behaves in these sort of weird office situations. Yeah, how he eats a scotch egg, etc. Um, yeah. Okay, that's great. Let's let's take it back a bit. I want to ask a kind of um, twofold question. Firstly, if you could tell us how you got into acting, that would be brilliant. And then also whether, you know, in getting into acting and studying for it or whatever, whether you had an eye on fame at all rather than just the idea of being a successful actor? Well, I mean, I started, I was, I was sort of um, always in the school place. So I, was always a, I was always a keen actor and fan of films and plays and so on. And I went to university in Edinburgh 
and started doing plays there with the Edinburgh University Theatre Company. And there was a thing there, a thing, an improv group there, uh, Theatre Sports, who did an improv comedy show every week. And they they were they ran workshops anyone could go to, and I started getting involved with that, and ended up being in that show. So I started doing a lot of improv comedy, uh, and uh, after that, I was sort of I met a couple of people up there who were interested in writing sketches, and we started a sketch group, comedy sketch group called uh, Naval Gazing, around uh, about around uh, about uh, nine, late nineties. And we, we did the Fringe, we did the Edinburgh Fringe, and like a lot of people who got into it, we sort of got picked up by an agent, got commissioned to write a couple of sketches for a BBC show, moved to London, did a, did like a comedy, used to have these things on Channel 4 called Comedy Labs, and we wrote one that got commissioned. So we sort of went down, filmed that, sort of moved to London. I was still sort of doing a day job at the time. Uh, but we because we had an agent, we started getting put up for bits of you know little parts and little roles and that's how i ended up uh getting in into the office so other than the comedy lab stuff were there bits and bobs of other people's shows you did before the office or would you say the office was very much the first thing yeah because what happened was there were four of us and a couple of people had done other little bits and other comedy shows and the the, the casting the rachel frank who was casting was told to get people for the office for the for the office parts who could do comedy but who hadn't been on TV before because they wanted it to look like a documentary. They wanted people to, to they wanted people to tune in and think they were watching an actual documentary. So they were specifically looking for people who hadn't done anything on TV or hadn't done much. And so that's why I basically got got that. Well, I'm sure also because of your talent. You <laughs> well, no, not really. Well, because, yeah, the casting director obviously had seen me, but I, they, I, I wasn't cast particularly because of Ricky and Steve and the script, because I never I never sort of met them before that. So it was, yeah, the casting director was uh, was the one who put me in it. Okay, and you were in both series, weren't you? Is that right? I was in every episode of The Office, I'm proud to say. The reason I asked, just to double check, is because I wondered if it was worth, because in my head, because I, I used to do stand-up and I had an agent and did lots of kind of acting auditions for adverts and acting stuff, I can promise you I'm the world's, the world's worst actor. <laughs> but I can very much, I can very much imagine in my head, you know, how it might work to you know go to an audition with a casting director and potentially get a job that you may then think could potentially be career defining and i wondered if it was worth asking you to explain to our audience kind of what the process was from meeting that casting director to getting i guess getting the job and getting on set and at what point maybe you thought wow this actually is going to be an amazing show and this could be really massive for my career um i never thought it would be massive for my career but um, I never even had a part when we when when the office started filming. I was just one of the other characters, and then because they liked what I was doing, because Ricky sort of liked how I was playing it. During the first series, they gave me more lines. He just called me Keith just by accident in like an improv bit. Uh, the weird way the office went was when when he was like doing stuff at the beginning, Ricky, because we filmed it in sequence. They had to take a note if he called someone to something because he was improv and just, you know, winging it a bit in some scenes. So if he called you a name, you kind of they had to make a note of it so that he could remember to call you the same thing again. Uh, so Keith just came up by accident from him just talking to me when he was showing the new guy around uh, the office. 
So I didn't really even have a part, and I, I'd never met the casting director. I was working at it for a market research company, and my agent phoned up and said, uh, "Do you want to do? Uh, do you want to work on the office for six weeks?" And I thought she meant me going into that. You know, my. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Agents off it because I'd never heard of it. Uh, and so I, I asked him, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that, you know. Uh, so I got off there. <laughs> what, you actually agreed? Well, I said, what do you mean? You know, making coffee. And she went, no, it's a TV show called The Office, you idiot. Oh, right. And I went, oh, God, all right, come, you know, how am I going to know? Uh, <laughs> and so when I got on set, I had never even read the script. You know, I hadn't seen it, didn't know anything about it. Just knew it was a comedy show that was going to be on the BBC. So it was, a, for me, it wasn't a traditional casting, get the part, go, oh, wow, celebrate. It was just, a, it was something that just crept up really weirdly. That's hilarious because I, I actually think in a lot of ways that, I mean, I don't know, you tell me, but I imagine it's possible that that could have almost helped the situation and it helped you not be nervous and not think too far ahead and worry too much about it and just kind of be yourself and do, like you said, do things that then impressed 
Ricky and Stephen on set that then allowed... I mean, it almost feels like having watched extras as well. It almost feels like a bit like all those parts in extras where he was like, can I get another... Can I get a line? Can I get a line? Just the fact that probably in the background you were doing cool stuff enabled you to get a line and therefore add to your part. And Yeah, I think I think that's it, really. I think that is what happened. Uh, and it was just... It was very kind of lucky. It was like the stars aligned, really, that I was doing what I thought was good and they sort of noticed and started, uh, you know, and they sort of agreed that it was funny and so started... Uh, using more of it so it was a very organic but strange but kind of brilliant situation oh fantastic that must be so it must be such a great feeling i imagine to kind of have that yeah organic such a great word for it as well but just kind of feel it happening and go along with the kind of the wave i suppose yeah but in a way it's never it's always because it's so gradual there's never there wasn't a single moment do you know what i mean so it all happened organically and slowly so there was never one moment where i suddenly went yes you know yeah here we go uh, maybe there were a couple there were like when i think the first proper bit i did was um the scene with tim with the whole peak practice scene with the scotch egg yeah yeah and i remember that was my first sort of proper scene where i thought okay i'm, I'm actually involved in the show here uh and i was quite ner- i was very nervous that day because uh, I didn't want to mess it up. Yeah. And then obviously we did mess it up over and over again because <laughs> Martin kept laughing and that set me off. But then after that, I thought, wow, that was uh, that could be a really funny scene. So there was that. I think that was a, definitely the single moment where I thought I've sort of arrived as being part of this show, which was, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a great day. And then is there a, is there an equivalent of that kind of feeling for after the show started going out or maybe when... Opportun- more opportunities started coming in to your agent because of your role on the show. No, because it was it was always up and down. Really, it was always uh, like you know any sort of career or life. There's it's, it's never been all high points. I mean, I remember uh, there was a, there was a thing came through for an advert for Norwich Union, and on the advert on the brief for the advert, they said we want a, a sort of a Keith from the Office character. And my agent went, oh, I'll put you up for it. And I went, really? And they went, yeah, yeah, go along. They want a Q3 officer. I went along and I didn't get it. <laughs> that that I think that actually is a scene from Extras where with Barry from EastEnders, isn't it? Some, it's very similar. Yeah, maybe. But that happened, that happened to me. That happened to me. Hilarious. A co- similar things happened a couple of times where you meet, uh, I went for a, for a sitcom. I won't say what it was. And uh, I went in to meet the director f- to read for a part. And he just sat to me and chatted, literally chatted to me about the office for half an hour. And at the end, he went, great. And I went, do you want me to read the lines? He went, no, nah, I don't think that would be necessary. Sort of, see you on set, sort of handshake. And I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's not quite the same, but I've done a lot of work in TV production. And I once got uh, I once got offered a job to uh, write on a, uh, it was like half assistant producer, half writer job on a on a comedy pilot. Yeah. And so because I'd been offered the job, you know how you kind of almost you start spending the money in your head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's like and then about a week before, maybe even three days before I was due to start, I got a call back from the producer saying, actually, we can't give you the job anymore because we can't afford both you and the set. So I basically lost the job to an inanimate object, which was um, quite difficult. Yeah. Um, So you and you've worked obviously on a lot of not just The Office, but a lot of huge comedy shows which have been written and starred, you know, some of the biggest comedy names in the UK. Yeah. Uh, I just wondered what you found it's been like dealing with 
those um, very famous, successful people. Uh, and I don't mean I want you to, you know, say people are assholes or anything. I just wonder if there's a, is there an element of the creative process where you feel like you're around people who are basically geniuses and and you can really sense it? Um, I would not massively. I haven't ever come across. I mean, I've never. I don't think I've ever talked what I think uh, Ricky did with Brent, which I think is was just unbelievable. And even now, watching, I can't quite believe how good that performance was. And so, when you start at that level, I think it's hard to top it. I would say. Uh, being around Matt Lucas when we did Little Britain, I mean, he is just so good, so naturally funny. He's almost just funny just being, not without even doing anything. So that was an interesting one. He was very, very funny. Uh, who um, I would say when uh, the one person I was around who had a sort of a real movie star aura was uh, Colin Farrell. So working with him, he 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 was one of those people we thought he's kind of got that just star quality just sort of oozing out of him. Uh, so that's definitely definitely somebody you thought, well, yeah, he's a proper sort of star. And when you and when you're around people like that, do you get any um, kind of sense for yourself that that level of fame, as this is a as this is a podcast about fame, is something that you'd aspire to have? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Because you could tell he wasn't into it. You know, it was around the time that he was. We were in Ireland, and he. It was like there was a lot of press around because he was coming back to Ireland to make a film, and you know, obviously his love life was all over the Irish press, and and it was kind of you could tell he was he wasn't really uh, into all of that. He would rather just uh, live the quiet life, really. Uh, so I don't. I don't think fame is. Uh, I don't see apart from financially I don't think there's that much positive size with fame unless you're kind of some sort of egomaniac sociopath with a need to be kind of uh, you know in the public you know noticed and talked about all the time I think there are a fair few of those about yeah and uh, but they're never they're never going to be happy anyway so because they're always going to want more and more yeah so I don't if you're if you're sort of a no, I think this weird aspiration to fame that's crept in over the last couple of decades. It's really strange because there's no sort of ends. There's no end game. It is, it is a very odd, the kind of wanting to be famous for famous' sake before even working out what it is exactly that you want to do or create or make or be. And you look at the top, the people, that, you look at the most famous people and most of them don't, you know, don't look happy. No, it's true. The ones who crave the, the 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 press and the photos all the time. I mean, I I, I admire I much admire people like who who kind of seem like it hasn't affected them and that it's not even an issue. Like someone like Paul McCartney, where you see him, he just bumbles about, doesn't he? Just bumbles about doing his own thing, thumbs up, you know, have a laugh, gives himself ten pound pocket money a week <laughs> and just sort of gets on with his life and spends that ten pound pocket money on. Uh... Blonde hair dye always. 
<laughs> yeah, or red or blue hair dye or whatever he's got. Um, as I mentioned on some kind of emails before, a big part of this series of Almost Famous is that I'm asking guests about their um, relationship with kind of negativity in the press or social media or potentially reviews they've got. I actually asked you about this and you you gave me a good answer, which I haven't received before, which is basically that you don't tend to hold on to any press, positive or negative. Uh, and you and you did mention that you you know you've been trolled a little bit online and stuff, but that you kind of managed to not dwell on it. I wonder how easy you find that because that's not something that we all manage to deal with quite so well. Well, like, well, I mentioned the sketch group I was with. We did a whole thing uh, about it was a it was a whole series on YouTube uh, about basically a child band who'd been famous when they were sort of twelve ish. Uh, were a big hits called I Like You Girl, who are basically reforming 20 years later uh, and it all going very badly wrong. It's called Toy, um, it's called Toy Boys and everybody at home should watch Toy it Boys. on YouTube. It's very, very funny. I watched it yeah. yesterday. And, and, we, and what we did, because it was a big thing for YouTube at the time and they were it was all, it was all a bit shiny and new, we did a lot of little vids as well, little personal videos and vlogs, uh, as they're called. And um, and, and really trying to interact in character with all the commenters we got, which was a lot of brilliant. You know, it was a real mixture of people who got it and people who didn't, <laughs> who were really you know laying into us, but we were sort of in character, and we found the whole thing just hilarious. Uh, and what we would always do is we would always turn the negative comments we got, you know, oh, you fat bastard, all this sort of stuff, into like peace and love. And you know, you know, keep it keep it positive, guys. Uh, and really, sort of, and a few of them we did win round. You know, quite, quite a lot of the time, we got people to go, "Oh, sorry about that. You know, probably yeah. shouldn't have said that." Uh, I mean, you basically, you guys basically predicted what that Bros documentary would be twelve years earlier. Sort of, yeah. I mean, they were. Uh, it was very similar. We we did all watch that kind of thinking. Yeah, it's uh, it's all relatable to what we did. Um, but because we were because we, because we were so into it at the time, and because it was all about fame and kind of chasing the fame that you'd lost, and kind of trying to somehow rekindle it, uh, and really kind of and really looking at it from that angle of these guys really shouldn't be doing this, uh, it, it kind of I think gave me a, a, an insight into the whole aspect of fandom, you know, and interaction between fans and famous people and just sort of realize how ridiculous it is and since then i've I've always kind of managed to let any sort of negative i'm quite lucky i've managed to let any sort of negativity kind of wash over me and actually sometimes enjoy it there's a couple of people on there's a couple of people on twitter who i occasionally will send a tweet to uh you know the real sort of far right twitter uh and I know whenever I send a tweet to them, I know I'm going to get about two days worth of just solid insults coming my way. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, if I'm feeling in quite a positive frame of mind and a bit mischievous, I'll just do it just to kind of just to, just to see it happen. <laughs> I don't know why. I just find it amusing. Uh, that and cameo sounds like the best way to spend a lockdown, Ewan. Yeah. Well, what else can we do? You know, no, it's <laughs> it's totally true. Um, just before I ask the final question, I'd like to do a little quick fire. So just first thought that comes into your head, okay? Yeah, sure. Um, what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you because of being famous or in your eyes, in the pu- or just in the public eye if you don't think you're famous? Um, 
I was with a I was with a mate and he didn't really know about the office and someone came over uh to uh get my autograph this was a long time ago and they got uh they got their wallet out and all of their coins immediately fell out of their wallet onto the floor. And I was just sat there in a pub with my friend and this guy was kneeling and kneeling before me trying to pick up his change and the whole thing just just for some reason just felt horribly cringeworthy. <laughs> like that was sort of almost like this guy was kneeling before me. And my friend just looked at me like, what is going on? And I thought, oh, my God, this is just, oh, for God's sake, please get up off the floor. He's getting all his coins back in his wallet. It's terrible. I can totally imagine that as in, if, kind of, if I'm putting myself in your shoes, that kind of feeling of, oh, please, if somebody was watching this now, what would they think kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. And somebody, my friend was watching it. And I felt just, oh, God, this is awful. Okay, what's the best thing about being famous, Ewan? Um... Getting money for old rope, I guess. <laughs> uh, it is, you know. You Let me tell you, nobody, things. nobody has used that term for it, but I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, sad to say, it's true. Especially when you see on Facebook when they when Cameo do an advert on Facebook, and you just see thousands and thousands of comments. It's hilarious. Going, they're all. It's always the same. It's like, yeah, but where are the real celebrities? It's like, oh, these dead listers. As if someone's going to pay them for a video. I look at you going, yeah, well, sorry, mate, people people are paying for it. The only person I saw on the advert that I remember is David Hasselhoff. I'd say he's pretty, you know, he's pretty up there. He was on the Berlin Wall. Um, you know, don't don't hassle the half. You know, he's big, he's big time, yeah. Exactly. And what's the worst thing about being famous, Ewan? Uh, having to kind of be nice to everyone all the time, uh, even if you're in a bad mood, if they recognise you. Because the, the, the horrible, gripping fear of somebody going, oh, I met that guy, he was a wanker. I just can't handle it. I don't ever want to be the subject of, oh, I met him once and he was a right wanker. Or even worse, <laughs> or even worse, they film it on their mobile phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, okay, last question. Ask this to all my guests. Um Knowing all that it entails and with the benefit of hindsight, would you give fame or your time in the public eye up if you could have the chance? You'd still have, bear in mind, you'd still have the same life, uh, loves, friends, finances. You'd just never be known as Keith from The Office or have been on those other shows or stopped in the street. I can't answer because they're so tied together. It's so, I can't separate them. Mm. I would say yes if, if, you know, if in the right circumstances, I suppose. But then... I would say no in that, you know, as well as being in it, I am a big fan of the show and I think it was great. So I wouldn't want it to have not happened. I think that's a fair that's a fair answer. Totally. I completely understand. Uh, Ewan, thanks so much for coming on. Where can our audience go and see some of your stuff? Obviously, we mentioned Toy Boys. Where are you on social media? Have you got any stuff coming out that you want to push them towards seeing? Well, you know, it's you know, lockdown's tough. Get a, get a funny video message from Keith from the office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on about seven different platforms. Cameo, celebvm.com, Memo, Heidel's, Thrills with a Z, uh, Star Sona, Gemini with a J. All these things, you know, I'll, I'll say yes to anything. So all these platforms. I love it. And how much... How much would a message from Keith from the office run someone? How much would that cost them? It's, it varies on the different ones because of how they're all worked and some are in dollars and whatever. But I would say roughly between somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds. But I will put a lot of effort into it. 
and make it unique. Fantastic. Uh, I don't doubt it. Thank you so much for coming on. Guys at home, please do press that subscribe button on Almost Famous. Rate the podcast and leave us a comment too. Find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. And please do check out my other podcast, It's Your Funeral, a light-hearted look into the most important day of my guests' afterlives and give it a follow on Instagram at Pod It's Your Funeral. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.